From Interlochen Public Radio, this is Unnatural Selection, a series about people tinkering with the natural world. We ask the question, are we helping the environment or hurting it? I'm Morgan Springer. And I'm Dan Wanshura. Episode 6, Damned If We Do, Damned If We Don't. Yep, this is a story about dams. That's reporter Taylor Wisner. Taylor, what do you have for us today? Well, by sheer luck, the dams we built happened to save a lot of our rivers from a bit of a catastrophe. But of course, there are twists, and that's where we're going today. Okay, I have so many questions, so let's get into it. We're going to start with just a little bit of history. Back when European settlers first came, they built dams to divert water for drinking and irrigation. It was also really beneficial for things like electric power and flood control, but now we use them much less. Many of those dams have long outlived their purpose and are just there deteriorating. That's Mark Gaydon. He handles communications for the Great Lakes Fishery Commission. Basically, Mark says there's only three solutions. You repair a dam, you replace it, or you take it out. And there's this whole group of conservationists who are really in favor of taking out dams. They found that dams actually hurt the river ecosystem. Dams carve up the river and block fish movement between their habitat and other parts of the river system. And if they've been denied access, uh, what happens is the whole ecosystem of that river changes. That's already happened in the Great Lakes. Grayling and Atlantic salmon disappeared from its waters in the last 150 years because of dams, as well as overfishing and habitat loss. And today, lake sturgeon populations are just 1% of their historical abundance, largely because of dams. But river biologists say it may be possible to bring some of those fish back by taking out the dams. I'm sitting beside a creek with writer Mike Delp. We're at his fishing cabin outside of Traverse City, Michigan. This creek feeds into the Boardman Ottaway River. A couple miles upstream, there used to be a big dam. Mike fishes here almost every day in the summer. I, I go back a long way with, with the boardman. This particular section I know really, really well. I know it well enough to fish in as dark as it gets around here. Mike says since the dam was taken out, he's noticed a larger number of brook trout, something he likes to catch and release. The middle boardman and the upper boardman, it's, it's improved. There's no question. The dam that came out, it was one of four on the boardman Ottaway River. For a century, they created hydropower. Then, in the early 2000s, the power company stopped using them for electricity, so the city decided to remove them. The project organizers say it was the biggest dam removal project ever in the Great Lakes Basin. To Mike, on the river, it looked like a success. But the landscape had changed dramatically. Where there had once been small lakes by the dams, it was now a wasteland. Some people in the community had a harder time accepting it. One day, two ecologists overheard a couple talking. They were remarking on how awful it looked, that it was this barren landscape of, of tree stumps and black muck. And it's just, how could anybody do such a thing to a beautiful river? That's Brett Fessel. He works with the Grand Traverse bands of Ottawa and Chippewa Indians. We both sat there listening and I, I badly, dearly wanted to ask them, okay, park that perspective for right now and return to this very place next year. By then, it had all greened up, and Brett noticed animal activity he'd never seen there before. You used to hear the drone of turbines and the fall of water, a very um, human-created condition, and now... 
you go and you hear the water but you also hear the birds you hear everything there you know the wind it's not drowned out by this piece of infrastructure only a few years in the river ecology is stronger one example is the temperature of the river has dropped seven degrees lakes heat up a river so when you take out a dam and that lake goes away the river gets colder that simple shift in temperature has contributed to an expansion of range and uh, also abundance of brook trout in the system. So that's a, that's a signal to us that, yeah, this is going in a good direction. I'm just imagining this place. It sounds so beautiful and relaxing. And I really like that everything we imagined, it seems like it's happening. Yeah, this seems like a really good argument for dam removal and river restoration. Yeah, our dream scenario. If only we didn't have this other horrible problem to think about. Ugh. Okay, that horrible problem is coming up after a quick break. I want to tell you about another podcast you might enjoy. In their newest season, Threshold takes a deep dive into the mission facing all of humanity right now, containing the climate crisis. Now, on paper, the world has agreed to limit global heating to 1.5 degrees Celsius over pre-industrial levels. In reality, we're not on track to meet that goal, but the window is not yet fully closed. If we take decisive action this decade, we may still be able to prevent warming beyond 1.5 degrees. But will we? Well, that's the question facing many people right now, and the question driving the new season of Threshold. It's called Time to 1.5. Listen to Threshold now, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Taylor, back to the story. The way you've explained it so far makes it seem like most people want unnecessary dams out and that it's much better for the ecosystem. Right. And that's true. But there are scientists who want dams to stay in place. Pete Rohde's one of them. He's a fish biologist for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. I certainly didn't go to school thinking that I'd be advocating for keeping some dams in on the landscape. But he does feel that way now, because when dams were built, they were protecting us against something we didn't think about before. Invasive species. Things like Asian carp on the Mississippi River and certain types of mussels. In the Great Lakes region, the big threat is sea lamprey. Oh, yeah. I, I know about those. They're, they're like vampires, really. They, they latch onto the fish and suck out its insides. Ugh. Yeah, they're extremely harmful to Great Lakes fish. There's a really stark example. Let's head over to the Manistique River. It's in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. There's a dam that blocks the Manistique River from entering Lake Michigan. But several years ago, it began to leak. At those leakage points, sea lampreys started swimming through the dam and entering the other side of the river. A single sea lamprey has about 10,000 eggs in its lifetime. And those eggs quickly become thousands of lampreys that are eating machines. Within a few years, the population doubled and then tripled. It sounds like a nightmare. Oh, it is. Just one sea lamprey will destroy 40 pounds of fish. And if the sea lampreys aren't killed, 
they can add up to hundreds of millions of dollars of damage to fisheries in the Great Lakes. On the Manistique alone, the federal government has spent $8 million treating the river over the last 20 years. The chemical they use, lamperside, kills larval sea lampreys. That's millions of dollars spent because a dam wasn't strong enough. At its core, that's why Pete Rohde wants dams to stay, for now. His job is to study technology that block or repel sea lamprey so that something like the Manistique doesn't happen again. And what he's found is nothing blocks sea lamprey as well as a dam. It's not even close. Uh, you know, a, a physical barrier that's well-built and well-placed and well-operated and designed is still kind of the best thing that we have. He says if we'd never put in dams, sea lampreys would have likely decimated all Great Lakes fish by now. So when communities and conservation groups started asking how they could get rid of their dams, fish and wildlife people like Pete Rohde pushed back hard. That stopped a bunch of dam removals, including more than 20 in Michigan. Fishery officials across the country have blocked dam removal projects too. Dams in Iowa, Kentucky, and Wyoming have stopped non-native fish from moving further upstream. So it sounds like there are two opposing problems here. Remove the dam and river ecosystems could flourish. But if you don't keep the dam, invasives get through. Is there a way to tackle both of these things? Well, a lot of places have addressed the problem with a fish ladder. That's where some fish can jump up a series of steps and basically hop over a dam. But that really only works for a handful of species, says Brett Fessel, that river biologist. In the Great Lakes, there aren't mountains that need to be ascended by fish, so they didn't evolve with the capacity to jump. So the fish that can't jump, they can't climb the ladder. That's the notion behind this, is to have a system in place that could allow for those native species to ascend this river under their own volition. They may be developing that system in Traverse City, Michigan. On the same river where we started, the Boardman Ottaway, there's actually one dam left. It partially upholds Boardman Lake, where there are homes, sailing lessons, and a city park. It also blocks sea lampreys. But it means the river isn't fully restored. Even though the native brook trout are happier, most Boardman fish don't have access to Lake Michigan, and Lake Michigan fish don't have access to the Boardman. A group of scientists is developing an idea called Fish Pass. Basically, they would keep a dam in place to catch all the fish, but there would be a system on the side that would sort the fish. Dan Zielinski is the project manager. He says they might sort the fish using some pretty high-tech methods. Image recognition, so being able to take a video or a photo of a fish, readily identify it, and then have that trigger like a gate that opens or closes to allow that, that fish to pass. That makes me think of facial recognition software. (laughs) Yeah, I guess the uh, age of surveillance applies to fish, too. (laughs) Yeah, so then the fish they want would move through the river into Lake Michigan while leaving behind the fish they don't want. (laughs) Is this really the answer to our problems? Yeah, I mean, it sounds really experimental. Like, how realistic is this project? I guess that's to be decided. Figuring out a system to selectively pass all the fish you want has already stumped researchers for years. That's why scientists are so excited about Fish Pass, because nothing of this scale has been attempted anywhere else. Fish Pass would take this research that's happening in laboratories all around the world, things like image recognition tech or devices that repel certain fish, 
and then it would test them all together in an actual river, the Boardman. We're now able to put those tools all in succession or have fish be able to go through them repeatedly so that, yeah, each one may only be 50 or 60% effective, but if you're successful at parsing out 50% of your undesirable fish at 20 different steps, the amount of undesirable fish you have at the end is very, very low to nil, and you would have never been able to get to that step through a single, you know, individual tool. Because of that, a lot of places are watching the project and hoping they could apply it to their rivers. Yeah, I mean, it's really cool that they could combine all these things and potentially have that success. Kind of scary, too, because of the facial recognition software or whatever they call it. Um, but I wonder about this, you know, this whole business of sorting fish. It makes me think, are we overstepping? Yeah, it's a part of the controversy with the project. Basically, to artificially pass fish on a river, you're sort of playing God, letting the fish you want in, expelling what you don't want. And those choices have consequences. In the beginning, Fish Pass was only going to let native fish through. But then some people were unhappy about that restriction, and so project leaders amended that to desirable fish. They're still figuring out what desirable means, but the choice still frustrated a different group of people, people like Mike Delp, who want the river restored closest to its original state, meaning native fish. If you're concerned about its natural being, why would you put a species of fish in there that doesn't belong there? The fighting's really happening over two non-native fish, steelhead and salmon, large sport fish. Mike worries the steelhead will push the native brook trout out of their habitat. There's a lot of data that suggests that those large fish, steelhead, are get into um, smaller habitat, skinnier water, way upstream when they spawn. And that's prime, that's prime brook trout water up there. But it's complicated. The river already has an abundance of non-native brown trout. And the non-native sport fisheries are popular and an established part of the recreational economy. To address this conflict, a whole group of stakeholders are meeting and trying to decide which fish to let through. They'll play out different scenarios of what could happen if they let X fish in or not, or Y fish in or not. It likely won't please everybody, but in these types of negotiations, they can typically find a solution most people can accept. Put a dam in, take a dam out, put a fish pass in. Brett Fessel, the guy who was part of restoring the Boardman Ottaway, he says because of invasive threats like sea lamprey, it's unlikely people will ever be able to just leave the rivers be and stop managing them. But he thinks that's okay, because at least in Traverse City, the community's mindset about the river is changing. I have seen a kind of a change in attitude of, way, of the way people look at and consider the river um, with that, that um, kinship mind, you know, where it's, it's not just a thing that we use, it's more part of us, and that's still manifesting. That attention, Brett says it will bring more focus to what makes the rivers thrive. And that's the end goal. That was reporter Taylor Wisner. Coming up next week, genetic engineering is advancing fast. It's led to breakthroughs in medicine and agriculture. But what could it mean for conservation? You know, there's no recipe for exactly how to go about doing this. The natural world is immensely complex, and it's difficult to predict how ecosystems will respond to something we do. 
the ethical line between what we could do with genetic technology and what we should do. That's next time on Unnatural Selection, a special season of Points North. Today's episode was edited by me, Morgan Springer. I'm Dan Wanshura. Patrick Shea is the show's lead producer. Our consulting editor is Peter Payette. Music for this episode by Max Dragu and Marlon Ledeen. Erin O'Malley created our logo. Unnatural Selection is a special season of Points North. For more stories about the environment in the Upper Great Lakes, go to pointsnorthradio.org, or you can search Points North wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, we hope you'll rate and review us. Thanks.